And we're very thankful that you're here and you want to minister to us. May we be obedient to you and open to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, previously in Matthew 10, we have witnessed Jesus appointing the inner circle of the 12 disciples. That's in verses 1 to 4 there you'll see in the text. In verses 5 through to 15, which we looked at last week, Jesus begins to give specific instructions on what they are to do on his behalf on their first missionary trip. They're to go into the towns and the villages proclaiming the good the kingdom of, of heaven is near. Verse 7. In utter dependence on Jesus, they are, to, they are to search out the lost sheep of Israel. And therefore, as we thought about last week, the plan is to start at home. Preach his word. Be dependent on his power. Trust in his provision. Plan, power, priority. That's what we thought of last Sunday. The message that, of course, they are to go with has eternal significance. And therefore, the rejection of that message is serious, as we thought about right at the end. Verse 15, I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that time. If we reject, or if anyone rejects that message, there's serious consequences. So that brings us to verses 16 to uh, to 31, this long passage that we have before us today. Now, most commentators believe that uh, These verses have broader implications for the original 12 and also for us. Because those first instructions that we looked at last week were very specific to the situations that they were actually in. What to carry, what not to carry, what they were to do in certain circumstances, like shaking the dust off their feet and such like. Now, it seems as if Jesus is broadening out the instructions. These verses, of course, will apply to the first missionary journey, yes, but they will also apply to their missionary work after Jesus goes. And so they really do apply to us today in real terms. And the picture painted by Jesus of mission life is not a nice one. As John mentioned in his prayer, it can be hard, it can be painful, it can be costly. Back in 1982, uh, a couple of brothers, they were South African-born Dutch duo called Bollard and Bollard. I assume they were two brothers or father and son. They wrote a song, an anti-war song called In the Army Now. Now, you probably don't remember their version of it, but you might, if you're of a certain age, remember the status quo version of that, where apparently the draft man said that joining the army was like a vacation in a foreign land. You have nothing to do but lie in bed all day. That's what he said. Nothing about hand grenades or bullets or bombs. It was a very idealistic view of army life. And of course, often this was the approach taken by the authorities to get men, particularly, and also women, to join the army, to sign up. They were rarely told that they would have to use lethal force. And they were rarely told that they were, there was risk of injury or capture or even death. You're in the army now. Isn't that glorious? But very often we can do the same when it comes to ministry. We often emphasize the joy of becoming a Christian. 
the wonder of sins forgiven, the miracle of the new birth, the living Holy Spirit in us, and the promise that the best is yet to come in the new heaven and the new earth. All this is yours, we say. And of course, it's all true. Glorious truth. We love to share it. We should share it. But often we leave unsaid certain things. And so I think we sometimes create a false impression. We rarely mention the cost or the loneliness or the opposition or maybe even the pain of being a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we're very careful when we go through A, B, C, D. Admit your sin. Admit sin. Key. Believe. B, believe in Jesus Christ. C, consider the cost. Because Jesus always told people to consider the cost. And then D, do. Make that step of profession and commitment. But Jesus certainly did not, was not a false draftsman. He, he, he told the truth. He was extremely honest. He tells us what ministry for him is like and how much it costs. But he also tells us all that he will do in us and through us and for us. Salvation is absolutely wonderful. There's nothing like it in all the world. But hardship is not far away if you're a follower of Jesus in this world. That's what Jesus says. When we live and minister in a broken world, trouble is not far away. And it's getting like that more and more as time goes by, isn't it? Now, Jesus already dealt with the low-level opposition in verse 14, where he says, listen, if they oppose you, um, shake the dust off your feet and move on. But here, he seems to be warning us of, of outright persecution. This will happen, he says. <laughs> Here are your battle orders. You're in the army now, he says. And it's not a vacation in a foreign land. It's going to be tough. But I will be with you. And that's all we need. We should not expect the world to want us or our message. Now, you probably would think that the world would welcome the message of God, wouldn't you? I mean, it is good. Uh, it is what we need. It brings change, and the change that it brings is good change. You would think the world would want our message, but no, no. We will often be opposed, maybe even persecuted. You see, the world doesn't mind us doing good things. I mean, the world actually would probably applaud us for running youth clubs or running food banks or having some sort of humanitarian work to, uh, to the likes of Romania. Oh, they will applaud. They will say, that's good. That's good work. But the world hits what we believe. And the world hits what we preach. All you've got to do is start talking about Jesus and then you will see the opposition happening. So much so that many Christians now go soft in what they believe. They, they strip down, they tone it down to the bare minimum. And they also go silent on the preaching so not to offend. So basically, we ditch what we should believe. We stop saying what we should say. And 
all that Christianity has become for many people is actions. Actions. So all deed and no proclamation is becoming very popular in the church. All deeds and no proclamation is more acceptable in the world. We want to bring the message of Jesus being the answer to our sin problem. You start to talk about that. You talk about sin and you talk about the cross. It's a stumbling block to religious people. It's foolishness to irreligious people. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Stumbling block to religious people. Foolishness to irreligious people. That's what we're up against. Jesus is telling us, be sure about this. The world will not welcome you or the gospel. You're not going to have a welcome parade cheering you on. You'll not have the world say, preach it, brother, preach it. (laughs) Tell us the truth about my sin and my Savior. That sounds all very negative, doesn't it? But it's the the, the dark background to the light of what we're going to be told here by Jesus. Because what Jesus brings in the light of all that we've just said is three encouraging commands. Don't be intimidated, don't be worried, and don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated, don't be worried, don't be afraid. Now, think of your low, what we may call low-level witness. Like, for instance, um, an invitation to a church service. That's what we might call low-level, entry-level evangelism, or an invitation to Christianity Explored. And by the way, folks, can I say, as your minister, how, how thrilled I am to find here so many, many people inviting so many people to Christianity Explored. Now, you and I know that many of those people said no this time. But what really frustrated me a couple of years ago, and Barbara too, is what nobody seemed to be inviting anybody, and therefore nobody came. Now, people are inviting people, and we've seen many, many people come. So, thank you. And keep doing it. Be encouraged. Because that person you might invite might come to know Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? That's what it's all about. So that low-level witness. Don't be intimidated. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. It's also in what we might call higher-level witness. That one-to-one discussion with that friend or relative. uh, It's a Bible study or evangelism. Or maybe even preaching among before people. Whatever our situation is. Don't be intimidated. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. Let me say the Kirk Session are working on a strategy for evangelism, uh, and we, we may uh, hopefully unveil some ideas about training uh, and all of this area uh, sometime soon. So pray for us, and when th- that's, this uh, information comes forward, join in with us so that we will indeed uh, witness the way we ought to. So let's think of, of each of these three commands. Don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated, he says. Verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. So we are the sheep, and the world, therefore, is like a pack of wolves, says Jesus. Wolves tend to eat sheep. Did you know that? Hmm. One wolf is dangerous all by itself. But we're told here that we're going into like a pack of wolves. And a pack of wolves can produce carnage. 
And you'll notice there it's plural. It's not I am sending you out like sheep among a wolf, but wolves. Now the aim of the world is not as tame as the rejection described in verse 14. Here, the aim is intimidation. The aim is to harm us. The aim is ultimately to shut us up. Maybe even to kill us. That's what the aim is. The world does not want the message of Jesus. The world detests the truth. And we we know about that uh, from many, many parts of Scripture. Even in John 3, after the glorious verse 16, many people stop there. But what does Jesus go on to say? This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And you'll notice here how the wolves are identified. Jesus tells us, here's the areas that they'll, they'll come from. Verse 17, they're going to be kind of from a religious background. You notice the, the councils and synagogues mentioned there. Verse 18, there's going to be political wolves, governors and kings. Family, would you believe it, will be in part of this in verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Verse 22, all kinds of people, all men will hit you because of me. So we're not heading into a rose garden uh, to pick nice roses. We're going into a pack of wolves. And Jesus says, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. You don't need to be intimidated. He says, actually, what we need to do. He tells us, first of all, we need to be as shrewd as snakes. As shrewd as snakes. Wise, smart. Now, snakes are not likable animals, are they? I mean, if you call somebody a snake, you're not normally giving them a compliment. (laughs) It's a, hmm, anyway. But snakes tend to be wise in all kinds of situations. That's why Jesus used them as an illustration here. In other words, we're to know when to, when to speak and when to be silent. We need to know how to deal with people. We need to know what to actually say. We need to be smart and wise. Let's not be intimidated. Let's be smart and let's be wise. That's means that we that means we, we, we we're not given freedom to be silly or rude or obnoxious or unpleasant but we're told to be wise and we're told to be smart and if you say well actually I'm not very wise in, in these kinds of areas well then ask God for it. James 1 says who gives generously to all without finding fault we we need this wisdom we need to be smart among the wolves. So we won't get gobbled up, but we'll actually be able to witness to them. Innocent as doves, that's what we're supposed to do. Also, verse 16 there, that means to be harmless, pure, kind. It means we, we need to be people of high moral integrity. The bar set very high. We need to be honest. We need to be trustworthy. We need to be above reproach, as Paul tells Timothy about the role of an elder. And 1 Timothy 3, verse 2. We cannot be perfect, of course, but we can be people of repentance, people who are pure and kind. Kind, not harsh. 
truthful, not deceptive. In other words, we can't use the tactics of a wolf to try and reach wolves. Very often, that's what we're tempted to do. You know, as, as Christians, we're tempted just, just to we fight the enemy with the same tactics as the enemy. But no, we're not to be like that. We don't cover up. We don't tell lies. We share the truth from a heart of love and a mind of purity. So don't be intimidated, he says. We're to be wise. We're to be innocent. And then we're also to be courageous in the facing of um, opposition and testing. Verses 17 and 18, these situations that we will find ourselves in, um, we need to be careful about what we say and what we do before these different kinds of bodies and groups. Jesus, of course, was handed over to Herod and over to Pilate and others. And you remember how the courts and the people treated him. Don't you remember? They beat him and they whipped him and they spat upon him. And really, Jesus is saying here, what they did to me, they may well do to you. Now, today, of course, in our culture, we're less likely to be beaten and whipped and spat upon. I think we should be thankful to God for that. Although, if you're thinking about what's going on even in our society, you can almost see the day coming. You know, Christians are now taken to court because they won't sell a cake with a certain advertisement on it. Do you remember that, do you remember that case? That, that's going to become more regular. There may come a time, actually, when people will come in and take notes about the, what preachers are saying and then challenge them legally. So, while it's not happening yet widely, it, it could do. Some of us who are very young might see that in the future. However, in our day, I actually think the opposition is more sophisticated. It's kind of snide comments. It's, a, it's aggressive put-downs. It's being left off that invitation list, or it's, it's overlooked for that position. In other words, the point is, what you believe, you, your message is not acceptable here. We don't want you and your likes here in this office, in, at this party, part of this group. So we need courage, says Jesus. Don't be intimidated. You know, be, be wise, be kind, be courageous. Don't be intimidated. So how, how can we actually be courageous? You know, is there any help here? Well, yeah, we've got to keep our focus on Jesus. Actually, when, when our focus is on him, we'll be less likely to listen to the voices of intimidation that are around us. And we've got to see that this life is a temporary assignment in a foreign land. We're just passing through. We're not here for terribly long, actually. Our problem is we put all our energy and all our thinking and emphasis on here and now, when actually this is a very, very, very short period of time in, in the light of eternity. So don't worry so much about the intimidation here when actually the best is yet to come. We're to take every opportunity to bear witness to the gospel, even if it's before governors and kings and courts and councils. See, our aim is not just to survive, you know. Our aim is to thrive, to, to witness. Sometimes I think, you know, we come to faith we're saved by the grace of God, we know it, and we just simply get down into the kind of a bunker and we just wait till the war's over. No. We're not to be intimidated. We're to go on. Stand on Christ and take the message of him to the nations. Don't be intimidated, says Jesus. Be wise. 
Be kind and pure and courageous. The world will try to intimidate us into silence. The world will try to intimidate us into surrender. And we've got to say, no. Don't be intimidated. Secondly, don't be worried. This is verse 19 to 23. Why? Well, because you are not on your own. You are not on your own. God is with you. And his Holy Spirit will help you to speak on all these difficult and different situations that we find ourselves in. Now, Peter, you may remember in his epistle, very helpfully tells us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The Holy Spirit will bring to mind what you already know. That's why we ought not to be worried, verse 19 and 20. But when they arrest you, do not worry. There you see it. Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will be not be uh, you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So, what does this mean? Well, folks, we've got to be prepared to give an answer. We've got to have the answer in our hearts and minds, right on the tip of our tongue, and then we've got to remember the Holy Spirit will actually help us speak. Don't be worried, says Jesus. All you need is already there. I've given you the gospel message, and I will give you the power of the Holy Spirit to help you speak. Don't be worried. Jesus longs to use us. He lives within us. We should expect him, should we not? We should expect him. We should expect him to speak through us. Verse 21. Obviously, as you can see, we can't spend a lot of time in each of these verses, but 21. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Wow. I mean, could, could people, even family, be so wicked? Could they? Could, could this happen? Yes. Yes. Jesus himself, of course, suffered from this kind of betrayal, didn't he? His family wanted to take him home because they thought he was mad. Lock him up. His closest friends either betrayed him, denied him, or abandoned him. Do you remember that? In the end, he was on his own. We are his. We should expect nothing different. Do you know, in many parts of the world, the old stories from the communist world where, where, where family were betrayed by family members because they love Jesus. It happens in many parts of the world today where Christians always have to live in secrecy. So this is happening. This even may happen now where if you come to faith or because you are in the faith, your husband, your wife, your child, your parent might disown you. It happens. Verse 22. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Yes, there will be hatred. There will be hatred. But the promise is, for those who persevere to the end, salvation. Continue to go and to speak and to share. That, that's the encouragement of Jesus here. Yes, they will hate you. That's what you should expect. But keep going to the end. Keep going. Keep speaking. Keep loving. Keep sharing. Being hated is um, the reason why so many people give up. If you remember the parable of the sower, the seed on the rocky soil produces nothing. Why? Because it's got no root. 
It lasts only a short time. Jesus says, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. It happens. A lot of people don't persevere, and it's because of weariness about opposition. They just become so worried. Keep going. Don't give up. As one commentator said this week, and I find it very helpful, only he is worth being hated for. Only he is worth being hated for. Listen, you can be hated for many other reasons. Not one of them makes any sense except him. Only he is worth being hated for. And Jesus says in John 15, if if they hated me, they'll hate you also. But we're not to be worried about that, says Jesus. Don't be worried. Don't be worried. We're still in the days of some acceptance, you know. Things seem to be getting worse. Of course, it ebbs and flows, but it seems to be on a downward spiral. Let us use the opportunity that we have. Didn't Jesus say that? The the fields are white for harvest, so let's pray for workers. Let's be workers. Don't be worried. Verse 23, don't be worried. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Yeah, we're not to be worried, but also we're not to be sitting ducks, you know. Jesus does not expect us to sit there and become a punch bag for the world. You see how practical Jesus is here? And how tender he is? We're not expected just to sit there and be verbally abused or even physically abused. We've got to be clear. We've got to be kind. We've got to be firm. But if the answer is no, then we move on to other people who may hear. We don't run away, but we step aside. We keep serving until he returns before the Son of Man comes. We all, we all worry, don't we? Some worry more than others, and some of us worry particularly about witness. How am I, how am I going to speak to my son, my daughter, my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law, my children, my, my parents, my friends, my neighbors? How am I going to do it? And so we are intimidated into silence. And Jesus says, don't worry. Be prepared, and I will speak through you. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Don't worry. Keep trusting. Keep speaking. Thirdly, the third one, don't be afraid. And you'll notice there uh, it's said three times, as, as Dill reminded us there, verse 26, 28, and 31. But before that, verses 24 and 25, what's Jesus saying here? Let's read those verses, 24 and 25. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. What Jesus is basically saying there is, do not expect to be treated better than he was. On what grounds? Well, he uses three illustrations there. Do you see that? The student and the teacher, the servant and the master, the members of the household and the head of the household. Three ways. Three comparisons to make one point. He's making one point. He's saying, if we obey him, if we learn from him, we will increasingly become more like him. And if we become more like him, 
the world will treat us the way it treated him. And what happened to him? Well, he tells us there. His opponents called him Beelzebub, devil, even Satan. That was a frequent insult thrown at Jesus. They will do that to you and me too. In other words, even though we might share the truth, they will turn it around and say that we are actually telling lies or we're still being us sharing what is good. They'll say that what we're saying is evil. Isaiah talks about in chapter 5, about they turn everything around. What is good becomes evil. What becomes evil is good. So if they treated him, the teacher, the master, and the owner of the house this way, then they will treat us, the student, the servant, and the members of his household in a similar way. That's what he's saying. But don't be afraid, he says. Do not be afraid. Take comfort in the fact that they treated your Savior in the same way. It's an honor to be treated the same way as he was, isn't it? Verses 26 and 27. So do not be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Jesus is saying, do not be afraid of them. All will be revealed one day. All will be revealed soon. Truth will be clear. Lies will be revealed. There will be a judgment on evil. Trust him. Trust me, he says. And don't be afraid of them. Proclaim it loudly. Shout it. Yes, it's hard to listen to the lies and the blasphemy and the insults. Yes. But it is not you who should be afraid of them. It's them who should be afraid of him. We've got to trust him. Don't fear them. And in the meantime, we continue to testify and to speak and to proclaim. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Okay, so what we've heard today, we've got to go out and we've got to tell people this. Proclaim it, speak it. Shout it. And in verses 28 to 31, he tells us we're greatly loved and greatly valued. Verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yes, the enemy is powerful and seems to be growing in influence and severity. But listen, this is where we need to think. And I know it's kind of warm and unsettled here, so... If you need to nip yourself, nip yourself, because this is important, but I think here, it's all important, but this is particularly important. But silence does keep bringing back people back to concentration, doesn't it? What's the very worst that can happen to you for telling people about Jesus Christ? What's the worst thing that can happen to you? You'll get killed. Maybe you say, well, that's bad, isn't it? Well, let me say, that's the, the world's power is limited to that. The worst thing they can do to you is kill you. But the worst thing that they can do to you actually will result in the very best thing that can happen to you. You go to be with Jesus. So Jesus said, don't be afraid. All they, the worst they can do is kill you. We should fear the one who can destroy both the body and the soul. Verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, 
but cannot kill the soul, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yes, we fear man, don't we? We fear the world. Jesus, don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. You don't need to do that. Fear God. And actually, we should see what will happen to the evil one, to the insulter, and we should shiver. There should be a shiver down our spine at the realization of what will happen to them. And then, for we keep on sharing, we keep on witnessing, we keep on preaching. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's, the, in a sense, the terror of God. But Jesus then balances it beautifully, as he always does, with, with um, the tenderness of God in verse 29 and 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father? And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. The terror, verse 28, the tenderness in verse 29 and 30, both are true. Both are true. And see how tender he is. Sparrows were cheap in those days, but even they are valuable, says Jesus. They are known, every single one of them. And he says, you are worth more to God than many sparrows. You matter to God, so don't be afraid. You matter to God. We are under the tender watch of a tender father even has the hairs of our head numbered. And for some of us, we like to help God with that. We don't want to waste his time counting our hairs, so we, we like to be follically challenged. He, he, he loves us. We're, we're, we're very important to him. He knows the number of the hairs on our head. So don't be afraid, he says. Do not be afraid. I love you. I value you. The temptation, of course, is that we doubt his love and question his care. And we should not. So what do we have before us here as we conclude? We have these three commands to give us courage, to give us confidence, to be what we ought to be. This is spoken to the original 12, but they apply to us, of course, too. So... The so what, the application, I think we've been right through this. The so what is the three headings, isn't it? We're called to be ambassadors for Jesus, his witness, his proclaimers, his, those who share his good news. And it's easy to be intimidated by the wolves. It's easy to be worried about what we are to say. And it's easy to be afraid of their power. The answer is in Jesus and in his power. He says, I don't want you to be intimidated, and I don't want you to be worried, and I don't want you to be afraid. In fact, you don't need to be intimidated or worried or afraid. Stand up and speak out, he says, and I will give you the power to do it. I will give you the example. I will give you the power. This is the gospel. This is what we're to share. I hope this will really, really strengthen our resolve to speak to that person that you know has been on your heart and mind for some time now. You're worried about their spiritual direction. You're worried about uh, where they might end up if they were to die today. You're concerned, 
but you've still not yet spoken because you've felt intimidated. You have, um, you've, you've been worried. You have been afraid. Now, I hope you hear the words of Jesus. He says, don't be intimidated. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. Be strengthened by him. Be enabled by him. And stand up and speak out. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father, so easily we can allow the world to intimidate us and the thought of speaking to worry us and the way that people may treat us to cause us to be afraid. We're sorry. Uh, we confess our sin before you and we just long that you might strengthen us from within by your Spirit. Thank you for your wonderful example of going the whole way to the cross. Thank you for the way you spoke, your, your courage, your trust in, in the, the good news and, and in the Father's commission. And we pray that we will learn from you and that we will be filled by you. Continue to use us, God, because we want to do great things for you in this generation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, we're going to sing as a closing item of praise. Lift high the name of Jesus. And this uh, speaks about our witness and our proclamation uh, to the world around us. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>